Did you just say nuclear? What am I supposed to say? Nuclear. That is a pet peeve of mine. Read the word. Nuclear. Okay, continue. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, it's a pet peeve. Continue. (laughs) This is episode 37 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, March 27th, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and here with me is my co-host, as always, Joe Darnell. Hey, TJ. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Good, good. I'm glad to hear that you made it to our show yes. tonight. Well, I told you I told you earlier in the week, and I think you forgot, that I might just be a little late. I had a, uh, a video shoot today that I was out on. It's uh, what I do. Um, so when, when work comes up, I take it, and sure. I knew there was a chance I was going to be running a little late today. It was uh, mm. 45 minutes away. So Duty uh, called. Duty calls. That's right. So anyway, here I am. Here we are. Uh, we're ready to get started. How's your cool. day been? It's been going good. I'm ready to kick back and talk about some movies. Let's you know, talk about uh, some movies. There, there's been a lot going on, a little bit of buzz coming out now for some of the summer movies and beyond summer movies. But some of the cool things, um, you know, there's a lot more discussion now about J.J. Abrams on Star Wars and what's going to happen to some of the future superhero films. So, yeah, I want to get uh, on this because we have a lot to discuss about Olympus Has Fallen when we get to that. Yeah. All right. Well, the first bit of news that you wanted to talk about was the Wolverine twenty second teaser that I posted uh, this morning, actually. Um, and we know, you know, we this is an interesting kind of a thing. We had the Vine teaser. Did you see the one that they posted to Vine? Yes. I thought that uh, was awesome. Awesome. Yes. No. Oh, Why? yes. Completely you, and totally awesome. Why? Um, Why do you say I, that? Because it's a great way to whet the appetite and let people know there's something more coming. It's engaging in social media. Like, I, this is this is awesome. That's what I do. I engage in social media, and I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. Okay, well, here's the thing, is that a Vine video is of no more than six seconds long. And it's a Twitter network for video content, and I just didn't find it all that appealing when you just see flashes of Wolverine, which we've already seen from other films. If you wanted to see that, go rip out your DVD. You know, I just don't think that it's really necessary to show us nothing, basically, except like super fast clips. It, it, give, it gives you no substance whatsoever, not even a hint of it. Whatever. I mean, I thought it was cool. I, I, mm. I thought it gave a little, I, no, just a little I, glimpse, all, a little teaser. Right. Well, I'm, I'm all cool with studios trying to get involved in more social, you know, media. But that particular clip does nothing for you except show, you know, a, a variety of action shots happening at a speeding blur. There's nothing you can really appreciate except, oh, they've definitely been working hard to pull off some action sequences, and you don't have really any idea what those really are. I don't know. It it just it's sort of annoying. Give, give me a real trailer when it comes out. Well, so I mean, the real trailer is not ready to come out yet. Are you are exactly. you saying are you saying that they shouldn't release anything? They shouldn't whet the fans' appetites. You know, you know what? If they want to re- release something now, you know, give us an interview with the director or a behind the scenes video, like they do for uh, you know when Peter Jackson does a new movie about the Hobbit or anything. Really, he's always doing these uh, little featurettes while they're in production. And that's the kind of thing that makes sense to me. Give me something worth seeing. Don't, uh, don't just show me flashes of people on production because, uh, you know, costumes and makeup and set design tells me nothing about a movie. And, and not until you get to something that's a bit more, you know, at least more, <sighs> more than 10 seconds long. 
See, but this this seems like exactly something that I would want to do. Like, I would want to start creating hype, and I would want to say, "Hey, here's a here's just a quick tease of what's coming when I get it ready in the next couple of days." You know, I do that mm-hmm. even with just pictures on Facebook. Sometimes I'll I'll post a screenshot of Logic and say, "I'm editing the Movie Byte podcast right now," or I'll I'll post a screenshot of this or that, or I'll tease uh, the show notes from our our personal show notes from the upcoming mm-hmm. episode of the Movie Byte podcast. And here's what you're in for. I don't well, know. I, I find it fun. Uh, the substance in our show notes and our in, in, uh, in our productions are completely different matter. <laughs> uh huh. See, I think <laughs> I've caught you. <laughs> no, I, I still hold by my opinion, though. Uh, the the, okay. the thing is, is that um, seeing glimpses of you know uh, Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine is nothing new. So the difference there is, is that we're just seeing him with his ripped muscles on set. Whereas uh, if you're trying to whatever. share something from if you're trying to share something about our production, at least ways people can see and appreciate the layer of complexity that's going on into the audio program, or they're seeing a glimpse of, like you said, with the links, we're actually exposing them to a little bit of information and not just uh, eye candy. You know, I think that there's more substance there, but, you know, all right, to right. their own. I, I thought it was great. I think it's great. And uh, I'm I'm excited. You, you know, I, on the one hand, I'm excited for it. I, I guess I should say that I'm really more anxious to get back into the main X-Men universe. And I'm, uh, on the whole, I'm not a huge fan of the Wolverine spinoffs, but, you know, Wolverine is a pretty, um, what, what would you say, a... Well, they're kind of, he's kind of like their own Superman. Right. He, he's, he's like a, a character deal. that people like, and so they're going with Extremely it. Extremely popular. Right. Yeah. I don't know how much, how much, how many more of these do you think Hugh Jackman can do? He's getting a little older. Oh, I don't know. He's not that old, is he? No, he isn't. And he keeps really fit. But I mean, like. I think they could do a lot. I, it I'm seems not like too he, worried about he, it. His first appearance as Wolverine was over 10 years ago. And he looks it was older about today. 10, what, what, I think it was about 10 years ago. About what, 10 years ago? 2001, 2002, when that first film came out. Okay. So he's 10 years older, and obviously he looks a little bit older. But he's playing a character that never ages. Yeah, but some of that you forgive. Like, like some of that you say, okay, this is this is this is the theater. This is kind of the way it goes. This is, you know, I, 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 that that you can kind of overlook to an extent. Uh, yeah, you know. Well, it really bugged me when it happened to Superman in the uh, films with Christopher Reeve because, well, in his I mean, case, since I quit watching after Superman two, since there are no films yeah. after Superman two, <laughs> smart man. No, I, I, I did watch them, and that's so. why I say I didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. Yeah, you know what so, I mean, though. So the Wolverine 22nd teaser, I liked it. Joe didn't. It is on moviebyte.com. The link will be in the show notes at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 37. Second, we have here that J.J. Abrams started talking about Star Wars Episode Seven. Uh, to Empire, he mentioned that the well, no, Empire reported that uh, the name J.J. Abrams uh, brings up uh, you know a lot of issues for a lot of people. There's all this discussion between the world of Star Trek and the world of Star Wars, and fans that want to see the one treated better than the other. And then uh, I, you know Abrams is helming both of them. I, I, I want to say, as a fan of Star Trek, probably a little more than Star Wars. I don't want to see either of them mistreated. Don't get, don't ever get take me wrong. But my uh, my thing here with Abrams is that. Um, well, wait a minute. Well, okay, Explain let, first what Abrams said. Okay, I was just going to say. Let me quote from the Empire article here. 
mention the name J.J. Abrams, and there's one question that immediately barges all others aside. What's the plan for Episode 7? While he was able to approach Star Trek with a detached objectivity, how will he, as a huge Star Wars fan, approach Star Wars' bold new era? Empire put that question to the, ma- to the man himself when we recently sat down with him at his bad robot offices in L.A. I don't know because we're just getting started, so it's a question that I hope I'll have a good answer to when I know what the answer is. There are definitely more questions than answers right now, but to me, they're not that dissimilar. Though I came from at these both from very different places where they both meet is a place of, ooh, that's really exciting. And even though I was never a Star Trek fan, I felt like there was a version of it that I could do that would make me excited, that I would think, that's cool, that feels right, I actually would want to see that. Okay, that's what ticks me off as a Star Trek fan. And that's, I, I felt that in the last movie, too. I really felt that. Like that this, it was more important to make something exciting, new, cool, and interesting to a new Than it was to audience. make a good Star Trek film. That's or how, to, yeah, to be faithful to the, all, all I, the source material. I didn't see why, he couldn't do, why somebody couldn't do both. I still don't see why you can't do faithful both. Faithful to the legacy of the series. Yeah, I, I, and, and that's, that's what's frustrating to me. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I have to address this because I am a Star Trek fan, and it did really irritate me. Like the first film, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, the previous film, it it was an okay film. It wasn't a great film, and it could have been a great film. It didn't. It wouldn't have taken a lot to make it a great film. But because he was not a fan of Star Trek, he had no respect for the franchise. It's hard to do. And I do feel yeah. like this upcoming film, Star Trek Into Darkness, will be a better film. Perhaps I hope, but I still doubt if it will come up to the same level because J.J. Abrams. And, and, and look, you can come to Star Trek and not be a fan and treat the franchise with respect. Just look at the film that most of us as Star Trek fans hail as the best Star Trek film, which is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, was made by Nick Meyer, who was not and is not a fan of Star Trek. He was a fan of good movies, but he brought in people to help him who were fans of Star Trek to say, what's the holy ground? What can huh. I not tread on? Et cetera, et cetera. So, I, I, yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with J.J., and, and that was my thrust when I posted this. I know you're you're wanting to take the Star Trek ang- uh, Star Wars angle a little bit because you're a Star Trek fan, uh, Star Wars fan. Sorry, I'm right. <laughs> well, I, I still think it's a little bit of a conflict of interest for any director to helm both of these um, series. Absolutely, totally. Uh, and I I respect J.J. Abrams for being a great filmmaker, and I think if anything, I'm sticking to what I said originally that he was born to probably direct the Star Wars trilogy to come, but. <laughs> I don't know that he was he was originally suited for the Star Trek series. So it, it, it kind of frustrates me, you know? I kind of like what he did for Star Trek, but I'm really more interested in what he does for Star Wars. Except that now that he's involved in Star Trek, I think that he can't help, but I think it will unduly influence the direction of Star Wars. Of, you course, know? of course it will. Let's, like, you know, hey, let's look at what happened in Star Trek, and now... How do we adjust Star Wars in, you know, keeping in mind how Star Trek paid off or didn't work in this area or that area? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm wary that because the Star Trek films are preceding this new Star Wars series, that it's going to cause undue influence on the direction for Star Wars. And I don't want Star Wars to be influenced by Star Trek, you know? And that's what's happening is inevitably the series will be impacted by what JJ has learned or what JJ wants to do differently simply because he's involved in both series. 
Yeah, I agree. And I, it's I, it's I, an unusual vantage point that he has. Uh, I would not want to be him. Yeah, I don't think it's a good thing that one man is is doing both films. I I know that I, I thought a lot about this, and I was open to it at first, right? And but I, you know what? After a lot of careful consideration, they're just such different franchises, and I think they both need focus and attention. Mm. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I just don't know if this is a good idea. Um, I, I, again, I'm going to reserve judgment, and I feel like he probably will treat Star Wars better. Like I don't expect them to live up to the original three, and especially not Empire Strikes Back. But yeah. I do think that they'll be better than the prequels. So you know, there there's there it is. That's my opinion. Mm. Well, next we have the story that Robert Rob, Robert Redford is in talks for Captain America two, and this is really exciting to me. TJ, I love Robert Redford. He's in some of my favorite movies. Uh, one of them being The Natural. It's one of my all time favorite baseball films. And what w- was reported at Entertainment Weekly is that the new Captain America film is probably the most unusual of the upcoming wave of Marvel sequels, since thanks to the first film's climactic. Uh, time jump forward, most of the original supporting cast probably won't be returning. Um, although since the movie is subtitled The Winter Soldier, there's probably at least one supporting cast member returning. No spoilers as of right now. But the film could be adding a genuine film legend to its cast. Entertainment Weekly has confirmed the news, initially reported by The Hollywood Reporter, that Robert Redford, Oscar winner, Sundance founder, Sundance Kid, is in negotiations to join the cast of the Star Spangled sequel. Right, I, and we and we do really think cool. we do think we know who the returning cast member is. I don't even remember who he was exactly, but apparently, do you do you want the spoiler? This this Go is ahead. something I posted earlier Please. today. Actually, the article you're referencing I posted on Monday. This is a little bit more news. Um, Sebastian Stan, who plays James Buchanan Barnes, otherwise known as Bucky, uh, is rumored to be returning as the Winter Soldier. You know, what's funny is that the movie isn't even in filming yet, and we already know who's supposedly supposed to be this. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's all villain. rumor. It's all rumor yeah. and conjecture at this point. So, but here's the interesting thing. I, I uh, okay, first of all, I have to admit, I don't remember ever seeing Robert Redford in the film. Mm. What? Yeah, I know. Okay, you're um, missing out. <laughs> uh, but 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 the first Captain America had a pretty aggressive uh, list of stars. Um, first of all, you got Chris Evans, who yes. you know he's he's not like a big star, but he's well known. I mean, people know who he is. You've got Tommy Lee Jones, Hugo Weaving, um, uh, Stanley Tucci, Samuel L. Jackson, Toby Jones. I mean, these are not no names. So it was a good cast. So and and now cat yeah now now casting Robert Redford. I mean that's just that's I think that's I guess that's I don't find that hard to believe. It's kind of continuing. You forgot that to legacy. mention Hugo Weaving. I did mention Hugo Weaving. You weren't uh, paying attention. I no, said it I'm right after Tommy Lee Jones. No, no, I'm just saying if you ever come to a film with Hugo Weaving, you have to mention him twice. Okay, it's not enough to mention. Him Got once. it. I'm sorry. It's, I will not make that mistake again. It's so Hugo anyway. Weaving. This this article and I'll find the one that I did earlier today and put that in the show notes as well. So those will be in the show notes. Mm. All right, so um, now we're going to talk. You, you wanted to talk about Apple's podcast app. Yes. Well, you know, this is a podcast, friends, and so we like to talk about podcasting. We, a little we do, bit. yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, here's the deal. You know, we like it if people can get, you know, a hold of our podcast, and a lot of people will check it out online at moviebot.com like it, you know, good people do. But then I think that there's a lot of us 
TJ that get introduced to podcasts that way. And once we realize that we actually want to consume more of them on a regular basis, we start looking into the things like putting it on our iPhones and iPods and stuff. Sure. Well, let me just say, I got into podcasts before the iPhone came out with iTunes. Like, I, And iTunes was, hmm. there were other podcasts out, but iTunes was the go-to app. And at that time, before the iPhone came out, there really weren't a lot of other, I mean, there were iPods, but you you synced iPods with iTunes anyway. You you were always connecting the cable and syncing, so it wasn't a big deal. So right. um, you just you just synced up the podcast to the iPod. The iPod didn't have Wi-Fi at the time. It wasn't a big deal. So um, there's been a lack of solutions for podcasting on iPods and iPhones since we got iOS devices, the, originally the iPhone. And uh, Apple's trying to rectify that problem. There have been several third-party options. I'm, I'm still a third-party uh, app guy when it comes to podcasts on my phone. Mm, me too. But Apple, Apple is definitely trying to rectify the problem. And then there's all these people, it seems like every month or so, there's some pundit that comes out and says how Apple doesn't care a whit about podcasters. How dare they? You know, and I'm like, I don't know about that. I think that they're being faithful. And Apple is just, we've seen from their track record that they're extremely careful about making updates and changes and they don't go willy nilly about them. They don't try to keep up with the times for the sake of keeping up with the times. If they think they have something that already works, they're not going to do much to change it. Uh, and so, okay, so you reported on your other site, buzzingpixel.com, Apple is touting full subscription sync for this version of the app, but here, as I have found, is the rub. That subscription syncing is only between iOS devices, not between iOS and its sync master iTunes. Isn't that quite odd? iTunes syncs with the iOS, but only iOS devices can sync podcasts with each other over the air. This is growing beyond frustrating. Let me explain my experience, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, and you can go on to read that. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, and essentially, my, my frustration boils down to just that. Uh, they touted syncing as this big thing. Like, and, and Okay, it's a really frustrating experience. If I subscribe to a podcast in Apple's podcast app, if I had another iOS device, which I'm not rich enough to have another iOS device, but if I did, <laughs> I only had my iPhone. But if I did, it would sync that subscription over to podcasts on my, say, my iPad. So my iPad and my iPhone would both subscribe to the same podcast if I subscribe to one of them. You would expect iTunes then to mirror that, right? You would expect the podcast on iTunes to say, okay, he subscribed to the podcast, I'll subscribe to it here. But that is not the case. You have to subscribe separately. Well, all things considered on that note, I think that there's a lot of, pod, uh, well, not just podcast apps, but there are a lot of syncing app, uh, functions for a variety of applications on iOS devices, phones in general, that are still struggling to keep a perfect mirror's image of a sync. Um, uh, how do you call it? Uh, uh, on an on a instant basis. You know, the, these the, uh, there's so few apps that instantly sync everything that's going on. Like yeah, uh, uh, if you're in the Nook app, if you're in the Nook app on uh, your iPhone and then you pick up some, you know, Nook device, uh, you know, Barnes & Noble tablet, it takes it, um, a little bit of time to do a sync. It's Nothing is instantaneous just yet. No, but it, it does, I don't need for it to be instantaneous. I just need for it to work, and it doesn't work at all right now, and it's just it's completely oh. and totally lame. This is what's confusing. <laughs> right. This is why this is confusing. I, I know I'm belaboring right. this a little, but this is a podcast, and we like podcasts. Um, I, I, if I subscribe to the same podcast manually in both iTunes and on the iPhone with Apple's podcast app, then the playback position will sync between the two, usually. 
<laughs> um, right. <laughs> so it's there's some there is some measure of sinking going on. Like, why can't they go all the way? What's wrong with this this thing? So it's it's really it's a frustrating in the early experience. Days still. Yeah. yeah, and and what's frustrating is um, Instacast. Get, Instacast has already yeah. nailed this. Like, oh, the, have they? they, they okay. don't have a Mac app yet, but they're coming out with one soon. I'm really excited for that because, but but their iOS apps sync flawlessly between iOS devices. If you have it on the iPad and on the iPhone, everything stays in sync. As soon as you open up the app, it syncs with the server. Everything is synced up. And I don't understand why Apple can't get this in gear. You know, I guess they are matching Instacast features as they currently exist because it does supposedly work between iOS devices. But I find that really frustrating that it doesn't work between iPhone and the desktop because that, to me, is what Sync is all about. Um, Let me give you an example of an application that I use all the time for MovieByte. I use it all the time that syncs flawlessly between my desktop and the iPhone, and that is um, Reader. It uses Google Reader as a back end, but ever, but but because everything is server side, um, it syncs flawlessly. And I I find you know I subscribe to RSS feeds, I find articles, I send them the Instapaper from from Reader, uh, from Google Reader, the Reader Reader app, and that's that's how I do it. And it's it's I don't have any problems with sync on that, so I don't understand what the issue is. There are mm. several other apps I use that sync flawlessly. Apple's Podcast is not one of them. This is this is what's frustrating to me is podcasts are still a little bit beyond the average user. I I, I don't mean yeah. to belittle the average user. I you know, but but I talk to people all the time. Like, yeah, I found this show and I, I kind of like to listen to it, but I'm having trouble getting to download or sync or whatever. And and right. So podcasts and Apple's trying to make the available to the regular man, but it's just not quite there, and it's really frustrating. So. That's that's my lament and that's my long rant on podcasting. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, here in the ne- uh, near future, I'm going to go ahead and uh, share with the world my review of this podcast app and a couple others so that we can give you some recommendations if you're looking for something that would work for you. We want you to be able to get to them because, you know, we have four podcasts, well, three and a half or however you want to look at it. We have several podcasts of our own and we want to make sure that our listeners can get them in any convenient fashion that they so choose. Sure. Yeah, no, and that's 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 the thing. I, right as of right now, even though it's a bit of a techie solution, uh, I do recommend Instacast. By the way, if you subscribe to our podcasts, uh, both of our pod, all three of our podcasts, the movie by Instacast, it will give you push notifications within about ten to fifteen minutes after we release an episode. A push notification will come through and say, "Hey, that you know the new episode's available." Will it automatically download it if you're on Wi-Fi? Uh, only if you open the app. That that's a that's an iOS limitation. Okay. But yeah, well, if you get the push notification, you slide it, and it'll open right up and download. So mm. I highly recommend Instacast. Get it. Go get it and listen to our podcast through Instacast. Mm, they should sponsor um, us. Yeah, yeah, they should. We should get them to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsors hopefully will be coming, and that's, you know, I want to mention it here and here now before we move on to our next topic. Um, the way you can help this podcast stay on the air is by sharing it and getting people to listen and uh, to subscribe. I look at the subscriber count all the time. And if we can ever get enough subscribers, I do want to start soliciting sponsors that can help us stay on the air. Um, the, the, the only way this is going to work going into the future, and the only way I can keep dedicating time to it, Joseph, the only way you can keep dedicating time to it, is if we can get some compensation for our work. That, that's, I mean, I love doing it, but that is the that is the thing. We have to provide for our families. So mm. that's what we want to do. Share this podcast with your friends. Um, get them to subscribe. Get them to download episodes. That, that really helps us. All right. Let's move on to the next <laughs> Um, the next thing that you wanted to talk about, Joe, which yeah, is so a little bit about the music piracy in uh, the world. And the news is, is that music piracy is good 
for the music business. So it was reported on BGR, a new study published by the European Commission's Joint Research Center has found that illegal downloading doesn't hurt the music industry. After examining the browsing habits of more than 16,000 Europeans, the research shows that there is actually a positive link between online piracy and visits to legal music stores. So rather than negatively impacting digital revenues, researchers found that music sales can actually benefit from piracy. Of course they can. And, and you know, we don't have any direct info on this, but this has to be the same thing, and this is why we're talking about it. It has to be the same with movies and in general. I mean, with the entire, not just music, which is why I reported it. Hmm. Now, I had, a, I had a thought here, too. What's interesting is that they were, you know, doing their field work, and they were studying the habits of 16,000 Europeans, which cannot be all that different from American consumers when it comes to the general practice of purchasing music. And like you were pointing out, TJ, there's not much difference between uh, the, the music consumer and his habits and the movie consumer and their habits. No. And, and this, is what, this is what kills me. Anytime you hear a big company, uh, you know what, I need to preface this before I move on. We don't advocate piracy. You don't advocate right. piracy. No, I don't advocate that's not piracy. What this is about. That's not what this is about. But what, what I am saying, what you're saying, Joe, and what this article, what the study proves is that the companies that are fighting focusing, so hard, right? They're fighting to put so the hard rings to get on you, it and make it difficult for you to right, get their they're, media. They're fighting to get you to stop pirating their music. And the movie companies are doing the same thing. Stop pirating the movies. It's, it's wrong. It's illegal. Blah, blah, blah. But We're what they're put doing you in prison for 30 years, right? What they're doing is they're equating every instance of piracy with a sale when they argue this, that that's stupid. Um, <laughs> pirates pirate because they are pirates. They don't pirate because they like well, something. Well, 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 TJ, let's step back here. There's actually, I like to think that there's actually two different kinds of pirates when it comes to the music and videos. There are, I was getting to that, but go ahead. Oh, okay. All right. Well, here's the thing, people. I think that there are two kinds, and that they are this. The kind that will just pirate everything because that, that that's what they're going to do. They do not want to pay for any of this media. In fact, they think so, morally that it should be, just be free. All, all information wants to be free. Right. And so those are going to find a way to do it illegally and safely so that they don't get into trouble whether or not there's laws in place. Then there is the other crowd, and these are the people who pirate because they're not willing to fork out 16 bucks for a new song or, I mean, album, until they've first given it a listen. So they care enough about looking into this product, but they don't want to buy it until they have the assurance that they care about the product. So they want to listen to it first, yeah. and they don't have another means to do that. They don't. Maybe they're even likely the people that will spread worth of, word of mouth about the music album. They're going to help promote it once they've determined that it's something that's worth their while. And you know, uh, you know, we cannot. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be infinite numbers of exceptions to this rule. I'm not saying sure. that. The, you know, I mean, grant you any of these two kinds of customers or pirates are bound to probably flat-out steal something every now and then. But the bottom line, as the study shows, is it's actually good for the music business. It's a net positive. If, the, if piracy didn't exist, then they would actually lose sales. They would lose more sales than they already are. Right. I think that people like me, um, if, if I have ever pirated anything in the world ever, and I'm not saying that I ever have. <laughs> of course you have. But, but if, if I had... It would drive me, it would have theoretically driven me to want to support 
these music artists, in the case of music, and purchase these songs and say, you know what? I really like this. I want this to continue. I want to pay for it. There are people. There, there, there are two kinds of people. There really are. Um, there are people who they want to just have free stuff. Okay, those people are never going to pay. They just aren't. If they can't pirate it, they're not going to get it. There are people who who pirate and then they feel bad about it or they want to support it and they go and they purchase it. Okay, so I think as 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 the study proves, piracy is a net positive. Hmm. Um, and and this is what this is the frustrating thing to me, though. And 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 in the general sense, this isn't just true for music; it's true of other media as well. Right. I think it's totally true of movies too. But here, here, this is why this is frustrating to me: is these companies are fighting it so hard instead of focusing their efforts on the root problem they're 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 trying to put a band-aid on it instead of saying what is causing piracy what is the root cause of piracy here maybe it's because my content isn't available to people in a good way like maybe people would buy it if they could i can't tell you the number of times i've gone to netflix or i've gone to hulu or i've gone to amazon or i've gone to itunes and i can't find the movie or tv show i'm looking for or it would cost me more to purchase it and download it than it would to go to Walmart and get it on a DVD, but I'm not going to Walmart because it's, you know, nine o'clock at night and I want to watch something. Did you ever see that uh, comic strip by the oatmeal about the Game of Thrones piracy? Yes, that was an awesome comic strip. That, if, that yeah, I got it. I'm going to share it with the guys in the chat room. There you go. Yeah, and basically, I'll, I'll this makes our notes. point. Yeah, and, and it, it just makes our point. Be aware that you'll need to put up with some uh, foul language, as I recall. That, but that's that's the oatmeal for you. Right, and, and it's not true in the case of the Game of Thrones anymore. This particular comic strip is about a year old, but it is true in general no, for it's still true. The, the medium. You yeah, can't, you still, can't uh, get current. You can't get current uh, Game of Thrones episodes, as far as I know. Uh, you you can only get them like on iTunes a year after they've aired. Oh right, yeah, you're right. Okay, so, well, TJ, uh, that wraps it up for everything I wanted to talk about. What do you What do you have in your mind? Uh, you know, I, I just, I rolled in, I, and we had our technical issues and I didn't get a chance to look at the outline. I haven't had a chance Mm. to really congeal any thoughts that I want to talk about. So I'm just going with your side items today. I don't have anything that I want to add. I haven't really thought it through. So, so this is basically like my episode. This is your episode. Everything in this outline is you except for one thing, which we'll, Uh. we'll get to. Uh, and I'm, I'm not seeing it now. I know I put something in here. (laughs) I shoved it way down to the bottom of our outline. Where is it? Where is it? Mm, keep it going keep scrolling it's no, I, I went all the way to the bottom and i'm trying to i don't even remember what it is that's Oops, why i'm sorry no 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 there it is oh okay, you were, you is. took the you removed the link though doggone it now i don't have the link i the didn't link is mean gone. to right i didn't mean to it was uh, a mistake in a copy and paste when i pasted it i pasted it without the formatting sorry i wonder if google docs has older versions of this mm. document <laughs> i'm not gonna go poking around to find them i'll probably break something again Okay. Uh, I always break something when I open up a Google Doc. Well, at least I have the full text, and I'll try to find the link to put in the show notes before this show airs tomorrow on when it goes live in the feed. Um, mm. So, uh, you want to introduce us to this film? Yes, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are reviewing Olymp- Olympus Has Fallen, which came out March 22nd with a budget of $70 million. And on opening weekend, which was this past weekend, it made $30 million back. Uh, up to the present, uh, the total domestic is $36 million, and it's not been released worldwide as of yet. For uh, hmm, some obvious reasons about the plot, I think that we will get to in a few minutes. Um, it's, there's good reason to believe that there is a good cause for the studio not to release it worldwide at the same time that America is getting it. 
No, if yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> no, it's an American film. It's not going. It is, yeah, it's quite the American film. Okay, so a little bit from Rotten Tomatoes, they're just giving it the general acclaim that it's far from original, but Olympus has fallen benefits from Antoine Fuqua's tense direction and a strong performance from Gerard Butler, which might just be enough for action junkies. Now, TJ, I wrote a review about this. On yeah, the site. And you were a little harsher on it than I would have been. This That's, is true. This is this tends to be the nature of you though. This is true. <laughs> Man, you're full of the truths tonight. I, I know. I'm I'm a truth teller. Mm. You know, you have a couple of reviews coming out as well. I do. I'm I'm behind on my reviews. I've been very busy. Um and I, 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 it, I'm, I'm cursing myself because I want to get these. I love writing these reviews. Well, we don't, but. we don't want your reviews out until they're good and ready, TJ. So That's you right. take your good well, time. Well, I would, I, I would be ready to post a review tomorrow if you had reviewed the, uh, the, the, the draft. That's all I'm saying. But um, mm. <clears throat> so maybe a review will be coming out tomorrow. But it won't be the review of uh, Olympus has fallen because you wrote that review. Oh, so you, sorry. you were a little bit hard on it. You gave it three stars. I'm, I'm gonna get this right out here up front, and I'm gonna go with four stars. That's what I gave it on Letterboxd. If you follow mm. me there. Of course, TJ hasn't seen many movies in his life, so this one still seems rather impressive. Um, have you f- ever followed me on Letterboxd? <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen anything like uh, Patriot Games or Air Force One or, well, frankly, any action movie with Harrison Ford in the 90s? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, okay. I, I, I've not seen the two that you mentioned, strangely enough, but I've seen, um, uh, oh, come on, th- those the two that he's known for in the 90s. Um, oh, sure. He came- wasn't. <laughs> He no, wasn't no, no. known for Air Force One. No, of course he was. But you know what I'm saying. Like, uh, I wish I could think of the name of those films. Uh, the Hunt for October came before uh-huh. it in the same series of books. Um, anyway, everybody knows what I'm talking about. My brain has mm. completely left the planet. So we'll mm. move on. Uh, let's talk about the storyline of this film. So Please on, do. on a ride from Camp David on a bitter winter's night, tragedy strikes the U.S. president's limo convoy on an icy bridge. Presidential security guard Mike Banning, played by Gerard Butler, pulls President Benjamin Asher, played by Aaron Eckert, from his limousine right before it falls to the ice below. Mike and Benjamin were unable to rescue First Lady Margaret Asher, played by Ashley Judd. That I did not know until I read this outline, by the way. Injured and unconscious in the limo at, at, the, at the time it fell. Hmm. Uh, I do not believe she was unconscious. Eighteen months later, Mike Banning has recouped from the mishap and is eager to be reinstated on the president's detail. President Asher does not follow this as Banning brings up painful memories on – does not allow this as Banning brings up painful memories uh, of the night Margaret died. The day is July 5th when the White House fictional Secret Service code Olympus is bombarded by a Korean terrorist mastermind and President Asher is taken hostage. Quickly responding to the guerrilla attack on the White House lawn, Mike Banning fights his way inside to offer backup for security. But the problem quickly worsens, and Mike finds the Koreans have successfully taken the White House in their invasion. Finding himself trapped inside, Mike assists the U.S. national security team, scrambling to rescue President Asher and the president's son, Connor, played by Finley Jacobson, within the White House's underground. Speaker of the House Alan Trumbull, a.k.a. Morgan Freeman, is declared acting president. Alan and the U.S. national security team are forced to rely on Banning's inside knowledge to help retake the White House, save President Asher, and avert a nuclear crisis. So, you know what? I wanted to change things up a little bit here, Joe, if you don't mind sure. skipping around in the outline a little. Um, oh. I wanted to talk about the things we didn't like about this film first, and then we can end it on a positive note so I can kind of counterbalance your uh, oh. uh, weight in, you know, dead weight around the neck in the water <sighs> about, hmm. about this film with your hmm. three star review. Hmm. Okay. Uh, sure. It's your show. Um, all right. So, uh-huh. we're going down to the li- dislikes. Yep. Now, you, you didn't have any dislikes. I right? do have some dislikes. Have... I do have okay. a few. A couple. 
Well, you want to go ahead and start with one of yours. I will I start with think. one of my biggest dislikes, and that is that Morgan Freeman was completely underused in this film and did not work well in the mm. role that they cast him in. I, I was I when I saw the trailers, I was excited for to see where they went with this, and he wasn't in the trailers much. And I thought, well, that's because they're hiding from us; they're saving it for us. And, and right. it turns out that he just did not have that big of a part, and it oh. didn't work well, and he was completely and totally underused. Right, in a way. Everything that involved Morgan Freeman and everything that happened with him in the uh, the emergency response team's room was somewhat unnecessary to the film. Right, right, uh, right. Well, that's I mean, like he had this whole big argument right with the general, right. and he said, "I would have, I would throw you out of here if I didn't need you." And it's like, what what purpose did that even serve to the film? That should have been cut from the film because it was like never went anywhere, and it was well, not necessary will- to the plot. I, I see your point. And like I was saying, everything that happens around Speaker Trumbull, the character that, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman plays, was in some ways unnecessary to the film. Not much is really accomplished by this response team, except that they get to observe everything happening along with the audience so that they can, can kind of communicate the seriousness of the entire situation. And I guess I bought into it because I felt like we were observing the events unfold as, uh, you know, vicarious listeners in and viewers from the video feeds and the audio, you know, calls that they had with Mike Banning in that response room where uh, Trumbull was. Um, It worked for me, but I totally agree with your point. Ultimately, underused Morgan Freeman and Angela Bassett, uh, who played the uh, the head of the def- uh, the security team in the White House, and uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm not going to hold it against them though because obviously the majority of the action is about what's happening down in the underground of the White House. It is, but why was Morgan Freeman there then? I mean, he's obviously one of the big draws of the film. Like like they got star power. Why wasn't he used? I feel this is the same way I yeah. felt like with. Um, Totally different genre, totally different, completely different mindset, but but Warm Bodies casting John Malkovich, and they didn't even use him. Like, what was that about? I feel like this is the same thing. It's just like a ploy to get you to say, see, look, we got the star power, but then they, they really hadn't written a good role for him. Well, there is another wrinkle to see here, too, that the character of Mike Banning, which was Gerard Butler, he's the security guy that's inside the White House, and for several chunks in the film, he's all by himself trying to fight these Koreans, and he needed to have a connection with the outside, So rather than to make him appear as a rogue operator inside just trying to solve the world's problems on his own, you know, you know, too good for authorities that, you know, given the situation, they needed him to connect with the outside authorities and powers that be in Washington so that it looked like he was still operating under the authority of the the headship of uh, the United States. So whenever he was on the phone or he was on the speakerphone or you know he was on his Bluetooth talking to them about the Koreans he was whooping inside the White House, he needed to talk to somebody. And they, I guess they decided that that helped to pace the film and uh, fill up the two-hour slot and to give to give Mike Banning, the character, G- Gerard Butler, somebody to talk to so that he'd have some dialogue. No, if and, it weren't and, for that, then there wouldn't have been all that much. Right, dialogue. and I and I agree too that the film needed that. Like, I'm not saying it need didn't need that, but why did it have to be Morgan Freeman? Because it, that just makes it feel completely underused to me. Well, you know, I like to see Morgan Freeman in anything. I do too, but like I said, not and, and not and I guess I'm balking against not only was he underused, but he 
he wasn't right for the role like he felt oh, yeah. li- like he walked in there and you know when morgan freeman <laughs> walks into a room he takes command of the room but it felt like for a while <laughs> he was he was scratching his head going, i don't know what to do i don't know what are we gonna I, do i don't know i can't make a decision and that's just so not morgan freeman mm, I, okay i think you're being a little harsh there but i get your point i'm not i'm not entirely disagreeing with you that's I just funny think, i'm the one who gives it four stars yeah. you give it three and you think i'm being harsh <laughs> This is funny. <laughs> the re- the roles have reversed. TJ, read my next line. It's over there in the in the outline. You read my part. Uh- <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to do that. But but you know, I mean, we, to be fair, we're talking about our dislikes first, so that we can end on the high note and talk about the likes. So right, okay. Um, that that, that was that was mine. That was my big one. Really, is is just you know the complete misuse of uh, Morgan Freeman. Well, like well, he didn't even need to be in this film. Well, oh, oh. Since you brought it up, it makes me wonder now. Did you ever see Bruce Almighty? I haven't. No, I. Oh, um, you're. Well, oh, see, I. DJ. I, I, I and, and maybe I should see it so that I can speak. Uh, yeah, you say give a real yay or nay. I've always felt as uh, you know, it's not a secret uh, to our audience that I'm a Christian, and I've I felt like maybe that would probably be crossing the line. Uh, with <laughs> with uh, uh, how shall I say? What what's the word I'm looking for? Um, blasphemy. I I don't know. It Indiscreet, just felt weird. irreverent. Irreverent. Yeah, I felt mm. like that was probably crossing the line. I can't speak with authority right. to that though, because I know people say that about Harry Potter and, and magic, and I don't feel that way at all. I love Harry Potter, mm. so, um, and I uh, so so it could be something like that. But that was just kind of my initial gut reaction, and I've just never looked at it again. So yeah, I I, I can see what you're thinking. Did you ever see the sequel about Evan Almighty? No, I heard about it, but I never mm. saw it. Okay. Well, you know, uh, in Bruce Almighty, Morgan Freeman plays God. That I did know. <laughs> that was that was one of those moments I probably would have agreed with you, that Morgan Freeman in some part was somewhat wasted on the role, not to trivialize the character of God, but in that particular movie, it seemed like God was mysteriously absent a lot of the time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so... <laughs> it was kind of an odd situation. We'll have to talk about that some other time. But I totally agree that, you know, when you do have a significant player like Morgan Freeman, it would be great to see him given a, a greater role. Um, no no, no d- disapp- uh, disagreement there. But I- in the end, I think it still works. And I don't know. Maybe if they did use him to a greater extent, I would be more inclined to give this more star power. I would think so, but you know that's that's just me. Um, what what are some of the things that you didn't like about the film? Okay, well, I didn't care too much about the performance of the villain Rick Younes. He plays the character of the terrorist mastermind named King, and he's supposed to be this rather tall Korean guy who has infiltrated the South Korean government. I'm sorry, I'm giving away a ton of spoilers here. So if, if that's not cool with you, go ahead and turn the program off. Don't would you stop saying that? I don't want people to turn my <laughs> podcast off. Uh, well you know <laughs> okay continue uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm gonna continue listening to the program TJ okay great <laughs> I'm here okay so uh, so you know Rick Younes he's playing this uh, uh, this Korean and uh, supposedly he is yes Korean but he is not with North Korea or South Korea he's only infiltrated South Korea to his advantage He gets into the White House with the South Korean prime minister, and that's how he's able to take the president hostage and a bunch of other terrible things ensue, thanks to this character of mastermind Kang. Now, the thing is, he... (laughs) The thing is, Rick Yoon has a good-looking face, and he can sell 
the idea that he is a villain. And I've read some reviews where a lot of people are saying, ah, oh, he, he did great. But I think that ultimately his performance wasn't really all that great. He seemed way too cartoonistic, you know, like I expected him any moment to just go, you know, it was just, I, yeah, I the guy was, he was monotone the whole film. He had this blank stare for the majority of the time. And then when he it actually came his time to, to ha- dish out some physical hand to fist fighting with um, the, the, the good guys, he was wimpy. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Mm, I didn't but feel I, that I way was at dis- all, by the way. I was I, disappointed in part by his character and in part by the performance, about 50-50. Yeah, I, I, I don't share that sentiment at all. I thought he did great. I think that everybody working for the bad guy did a great job. I think the bad guy himself was I, a little see, lackluster. No, I, I, eh, I, I didn't notice or care about the guys working for the bad guy that much. I, I thought mm. that Rick Yoon was great, so I will disagree with you on that point. Mm. Um, and I know that some are highly praising the visual effects of the film, um, including I, Roger I, Ebert. Yeah, and again, I'm with Ebert. I thought they were great. Again, now, I do have to preface and say I saw the film in somewhat of a lesser theater. I have been seeing films in a theater here locally in Dixon just because I don't get into Franklin as often as I used to. And it's a, a long drive, and I've had a lot of work to do. So it's easier to drive 15 minutes to the theater than 50. Um, but that said, I, I did not find the visual effects unappealing. But you did. Mm. I did, and part of the problem was that there were so many of them that after a while, I began to notice where there were shortcomings. A lot of it looked really good, but when there was a shortcoming, it was pretty obvious. Mm. There was um, obviously a huge set piece for the White House, and uh, there was many moments where you get to see broken rubble outside by the pillars and the inner hallways and the charred walls where parts of the building exploded and, you know, helicopters are falling on the lawn and on top of the building and stuff like that. So a lot of it had to be very tangible. I think that the set was impressive. That's one of my likes. But I think that the visual effects were not able to match the quality of the physical production pieces Um, for instance there were several times when you got a vantage point from sort of a bird's eye view or a helicopter view of the scene while there might be an explosion somewhere outside of the white house and when uh, things like this happened i noted that noticed that the that the white house itself looked oddly plastic and the just the things around it, the vehicles sometimes flying around didn't look real enough. They looked like they belonged in a very high quality video game, but not in a movie. Mm. So uh, in contrast to all the physical things, all the sets, they seemed subpar and they just seemed a little bit cheap to me. I, I didn't feel that way at all. Again, I, I, I have to say, I, I maybe the screen I saw it on was hiding it because, mm. you know, it, it is not quite as good as yeah, screen. Yeah, I, I, I was seeing it on an excellent screen, so it could have been that it was just too good for the situation. But but I, I really didn't feel that way at all. I, I certainly didn't feel that the White House ever looked like a piece of plastic. Never mm. felt that. So, again, I, I you know, different people see different things, and I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I have I 2020, and you need glasses, and we all know this. Uh, I do wear glasses. I we have, have seen your profile when, pic. When I am wearing glasses, I have 2015 vision. No way. Yes, 2015. No I, fair. I, my I my vision is corrected to be better than 2020. Oh, I, I need to get some glasses then. I didn't know you could do that. Uh, yeah, it's possible. Um, I've known wow. people who actually have better than 2020. 2020 is just like a baseline. Like It, it is the standard. And there are a lot of people who actually, in fact, I would say my optometrist tells me that a good 50% of the population, even if they're not wearing glasses, does not have 20-20. Now, you can legally drive with 20-40, not a big deal, but 
anyway, this is a sidetrack. Hmm. Okay, well, tell me about something else you disliked. Um, I, you, you really? To, there, you, you have to think about this. There's nothing else. There's not a lot. Like, I really enjoyed the film. I, wow, I, you're I, very I forgiving. Wanna, of okay, I do want to mention the soundtrack. Not that it was a major dislike. There were actually parts of it that I enjoyed, but it wasn't the knockout that I wanted it to be. So wait a minute, uh, if if all you disliked was Morgan Freeman and his character's role, then how come you aren't giving it more credibility? Why aren't you giving it a higher star rating? Ultimately because it's you know, it's mainly an action flick and it doesn't have as much plot as I would enjoy. Oh, like, I, I guess I could give okay. that I guess I could make that my my dislike in addition to wishing the soundtrack was better. Even though there were parts of it that I enjoyed, there were parts of it I, I don't I don't think I uh diss it as much as you're going to according to what I see in the show outline. But I I wish that the soundtrack had hit uh, hit me a little more. Like, I wish it was a little more memorable. I wish it had matched the rest of the film a little more. And it, it didn't quite get there. Right, and um, I'm, I, I'm with you right there. And what um, was the one that you just told – that I just said that I was going to say was a po- possibly a dislike? Well, oh, the, that, bits that and pieces a, of the like, soundtrack. That it was a little – it was – okay, so it, I will say that it's a little um, – light on plot and a little heavy on action and oh, i yeah. that's ultimately why it only gets four stars for me is because i do prefer a little yes. more plot and a little maybe a little less action even yeah you know in some ways there was enough character development to go around considering that it was a very relatively simple shallow plot everybody was given a, sh- a fair share yeah, of the character I, would, I wouldn't even say there was any character development like everybody acted in accordance with their character and they didn't really grow beyond hmm. that Really? See, I, I guess I'm reading it, uh, reading into it a little bit more because m- maybe that's just what I do. But I perceived that there were things that they staged early on, and they kind of had a nice payoff for most all of them. Give us an example. Uh, okay, so um, Morgan Freeman's character of Speaker of the House Trumbull, he's obviously an older politician who has never been president of the United States. And he never ex- – uh, I will say that he never – obviously never expected to be put in that position. And he obviously never expected to be because the president, the vice president, and who else is there? Um, the secretary – the uh, somebody else i forget what the chain of order is but there is the president who is president in the event that he cannot act as president then the vice president takes his place if the vice president can't take the place of the president then there is a third party and that might be like the secretary of state Do yeah you remember? I, I always get this wrong it may be the secretary okay. of state but it's there, there's basically three I, I believe there's three, three and then it falls to yes. the speaker of the house Fourth is Speaker of the House. So his character is taken aback when he is told, you are now acting president as of this very moment. He's got a lot on his mind all at once. So he's kind of quiet the first few minutes that he's in, a, in his uh, part because... And he really I, needs to be making decisions too. <laughs> right. And and yes, and by the time he starts to speak up, you're wondering, well, is he going to be able to handle the situation much? Is he... Can we really depend on him? So I think that they demonstrated the character of that of you know Speaker Mor- uh, I want to say Speaker Morgan Freeman. Alan I mean Trumbull. Speaker Alan Trouble that uh, he was developing in the process because he was rising to to the occasion. Yeah. But that was something subtle, right? Because early in his role, he isn't talking much, and by the time that he's done with the situation, it seems like he's really risen to the occasion. Yeah, I suppose you could say that, and and, and there were things he was like my that least for all favorite parts. part, I suppose he did have the most character development. Mm. Everybody else, I feel like, never grew, and they acted in accordance with their character. Mm. Um, you know, I I did not. I guess I also did not enjoy the fact that 
uh, president, uh, what, what was his name in the film? Aaron Eckert. Be, yeah, um, Benjamin Asher. Benjamin Asher. He kept telling his aides, and or not his aides, but, you know, like the Secretary oh, of Defense yeah. and whatever, give him the code, I'm not going to break. Give him the code, I'm not going to break. And it's like, there's a reason why three people have three separate codes. You don't want them to break. <laughs> so right. that was a little frustrating and annoying. Right. Yeah, I had to clarify what, what DJ is talking about is how the Korean wants these codes so that he can hack into parts of the system that run the nuclear warheads for America. And in did order you, to. Did you just say nuclear? What, did I, what am I supposed to say? Nuclear. That is a pet peeve of mine. Read the word nuclear. Okay, continue. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry, it's a pet peeve. Continue. Um, For those things. And. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the trick is is that um you know the the korean terrorist is willing to kill anybody he needs to get that information out of um in order to have his way and get to those warheads so the difficulty is is that if he kills somebody then he can't get a code out of them and that that person is the only person in the world who has a code but the president of the United States keeps believing that the terrorist will actually kill that individual through the process of torturing them. Well, no, I don't think he thought they would, he would kill them, but he would continue to torture them. I think that's why the president <sighs> wanted them to give is because he didn't want, want to see them continue to be tortured. See, I, I took it to mean that it, though it was never stated what was going through the president's mind, that the, the, the reason he would order the secretary of, you know, state or the vice president to give the code away was that he was really trying to protect their life it wasn't so much that he wanted to avoid torture as he was trying trying to avoid you know their death maybe uh, that that was the only excuse that a reasonable excuse that i could imagine for why the president would say give the terrorists the codes because it, it was just like moments before right it, it, he was so inconsistent and maybe this was part of a, a reflection of um a plot twist but one of the first things the president says to these uh terrorists is the united states does not negotiate with terrorists and then three times he essentially negotiates with the terrorist by uh, giving them their, you know, the codes they want, so that they the the terrorist will spare somebody's life. That's true. Yeah. 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 I guess that was. A, I guess I'll have to add that to my dislikes, as I did not care for that aspect. I wanted the president to be a little stronger. a stronger guy. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more Harrison Ford, a little less. Uh, I don't know, democratic. <sighs> well, uh, I don't well, know about that. I wouldn't say that. Well, my last dislike I'll mention, TJ, is just that I, I felt that there was a plot device that was used um, right around the beginning of the third act that just didn't work. Um, by that time, watching the movie, it was a pretty fun ride. It had all this wonderful action, and it was uh, it was quite thrilling. But at the same time, I was getting a bit exhausted by the progression of everything involving action, everything setting up a new villain to stumble upon the character of Mike Banning inside of the White House while he was trying to covertly wiggle his way around to find the president, and then, you know, Mike Banning having to knock him out. Um, and, and so I hear I was getting a little exhausted by the progression, and a lot of the movie happens at night, which was kind of cool, but at the same time, there were a lot of dark scenes, and it was hard to keep focused. So... Right around that time when my mind is begin beginning to meander, there's the scene where uh spoiler alert um alert uh that supposedly the president is killed in an explosion. 
And it's not clear why the terrorists would have exploded this helicopter that has the, the supposed president on it. And it's not clear as to who actually was put onto the helicopter if the president wasn't there, except assumably more the terrorists themselves just sacrificed their lives for a ruse and nothing more than a ruse. Uh, it wasn't like they were taking out a target. It wasn't like they were actually uh, solving a problem. And very quickly, um, Mike Banning's response is, no, that cannot be the president. He couldn't have been on board there. And he keeps looking. And while, meanwhile, the, the emergency response team with uh, Speaker of the House Alan Trumbull is all fretting because, oh, no, the president was just blown up in the helicopter. Like, why would the terrorists at that time, this is what I'm thinking in my mind, why would the terrorists at that time have given away their best card? Why would they have just blown up the well, president? Well, I think that the, everybody thought, and the, the the thought was that they all, the, all the terrorists went into the helicopter and they all went down and, and like, like they, they were suicidal when they failed. I think that was the thought. That was what I got, but I completely saw right through this. Like you, you, you put right. here that it was the it was unexpected and confusing. I saw right through it. Like I didn't find it confusing or unexpected. I, right. I didn't it even was, find it unexpected. Obviously, they're trying to mislead the audience to believe. Oh no, the president actually died. Boo-hoo, mm, boo-hoo. I'm, not even, Bef- I'm not even sure they were trying to mislead the audience. I think that, they were that trying to, I think I the idea I'm, was that we were clued in, but that nobody else was. That that, that <sighs> this is not actually what happened. I guess, but I, I guess the whole thing just kind of confused me because I wasn't sure what they were trying to suggest by blowing up that chopper. They don't show what the, you know the villain is doing at the same time. They don't. Sh- they don't ever reveal what he had in mind for blowing up the chopper. And then nobody in the emergency response team or Mike Banning um, come up with a theory as to why they did it in the first place. Mm. It seems like it was just something done. Oh I, well, I let's just mi- have I one more explosion the analysis, before the though, I thought they did talk about that. Well, anyway, I I didn't. I thought it was yeah, fine. I, just I enjoyed confusing. that part. I, I okay. enjoyed it. All right. Well, that's it. I mean, those are my dislikes, really, and um, what I think hamper the film. So let's talk a little bit more about likes and uh, more of the related content. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. one of the things I really liked, TJ, was that this film ties in North Korea. And although the film makes it out that the that North Korea is not really the bad guy, um, it has been pointed out that while the film's choice of North Korea as a driver of the plot and source of the villains was widely viewed as prescient, when a number of real-world tensions between the DPRK and the U.S. emerged in 2013, the script and production made their choice years earlier to use North Korea. Well, and so, not, not only that, I find it frustrating. I, I did see a lot of tweets directed at this film going, oh, they're such racist and oh, North Korea. Oh, boo-boo. whatever. You know, and I'm sitting here going, you know what? They went out of their way to show that this was a single terrorist with right. a few followers doing Obviously, this. Obviously, those North people Korea. didn't the, watch the movie. The North Korean president was there to seek help from our president, that that this was the efforts of not just North Koreans, but of there were collusionists uh, from our side. There were Americans that were betraying the president. So I thought it was not racist one little bit, and I get frustrated. This is a good time, I suppose, to talk about this. Um, I get frustrated by this. Uh, Catherine Hicks on Twitter, who I follow, she's an animator. I'm pretty sure she works for Pixar from what I've gathered. Um, she says uh, – 
honestly, if you see one really good movie this weekend, make it The Crudes. Only see Olympus Has Fallen if you're drunk <laughs> or a Republican. And she went on to, to tweet more things that were talked about her, you know, uh, liberal viewpoint and why this was a conservative uh. film and, and why, <laughs> why they were racist and stupid. And I, it just frustrates me so badly when you are so blinded by your own political agenda and motivations that you can't see that this film went out of its way to not do that. So that's just really frustrating to me. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. This should be a fun film that you can just enjoy. You know, put it aside and enjoy the film. <laughs> that, that's my opinion. And it really is an enjoyable film. I, I found it to be quite enjoyable. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. The other thing, too, is that a lot of people in the audience need to remember is that the majority of filmmakers in Hollywood uh, uh, politically are liberal. So if they want to make a film that's very pro-American, that involves a lot of um, a lot of violence and a lot of action, then they they should be more aware of what they're saying. They're really being a little bit hypocritical if the audience responds well to a film and is willing to buy movie tickets for, to see a film that's heavy on the artillery and heavy on these supposed uh, uh, politically incorrect themes when they're being produced by the politically correct crowd. Right. That's what's so irritating about this. Like, it's, who do you think backwards. produced this film? It's weird. Right. So, it's, it's kind of backwards. They need to think through what they're saying before they, they go off on that. Right. And it, and it wasn't like we were, it wasn't like this film was praising war or praising the oppression of other countries or praising the fact that America was involved in the politics of other countries where it shouldn't be. It's not like they were praising any of that stuff. I, right. I don't get it. <laughs> Well, look, you know, they, they didn't make it out that all uh, Americans are good guys. There was one of the um, the the men on the security detail in the White House that had defected and was covertly working for the Koreans in the film, and he was an all-American Caucasian guy, and uh, That's he was, was rather influential. Yeah. yeah. So, 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 yeah. I mean, the thing is, they didn't solely pick on the Koreans. Right. I mean, there was blame to go around. Right, and so that's actually one of my likes about this film is that while it is a pro-American film, no doubt, like these people love their country, these people are fighting to protect their president. You know, Gerard Butler's character is fighting to protect his president. That's all well and good, and I enjoyed that. But at the same time, I enjoyed the fact that they didn't go out of their way to say North Koreans bad. That if, if that were true, if that were truly what this film was doing, that would be in a dislike column. But it's not. So I, you know, I don't understand that at all. So yeah, I like this film because of its uh, its take on that. Good. All right. You want to tell me something else that you like? I um I did enjoy uh the character that Gerard Butler played, and I enjoyed Gerard Butler in that character, uh, Mike Banning. Um, he was a guy who was willing to uh, y you know, he he made the tough decision on the bridge, right? Like he. He said, you know what? I have to save you, Mr. President. I will – if the car is still here when I get you out, I will then get the first lady out. And But he was not able to do that. He But he made that tough decision. He made the right decision. He could only save one at a time, and he saved the person that he needed to save. And that's that's a tough – I would not want that job, right? Like I would not want to <laughs> ever have to make that decision. Well, I, can, and the I other can save one, not two. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, something else, too, that Gerard is really good at is taking very, um, very uh, uh, stereotypical roles for macho men and making them interesting again. He's able to take a, a, a character that could easily be perceived as just a hunkin' dude that beats up the bad guys like he's Rocky or something. Yeah, Sylvester Stallone. <clears throat> 
Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let's pick on all. Let's pick on all of them while we're at it. Yeah. And uh, he just makes the the macho men seem to be like real world um, thoughtful men at the same time. Right. Well, that's what I appreciated about th- this film and this character is that yeah, he was uh, he was competent. He was in the special forces before. He was a a, a, a secret service dude. And but at the same time, he wasn't out of control. Like a lot of these films love to take and pit. It's like. It's like the tough guy against the system, right? And he wasn't working outside the system. He was following orders. He was in contact with the Speaker of the House. He was in contact with the general there at the thing, and he was taking orders, and he was doing what needed to be done. And I found that quite refreshing. I know a lot of people love a rebel, and that's all well and good to some extent when it's time to be a rebel, but I like I like showing a guy can be tough and follow orders too. Yeah. And so yeah, I, and really, I, I really liked that about this film. I, yeah, I, and, and, you know, I'm not saying that his character was flawless. In fact, if anything, no. all the shortcomings present in the character of Mike Banning weren't really so much Gerard's fault, but, you know, see, you know, slight weaknesses of the script. Like, for instance, he has this relationship with Mrs. Banning, who is a, a nurse or a doctor of some sort. And any time they were interacting, it was a time to turn off my mind and just kind of ignore the screen and check my iPhone for messages. No, come on. Oh, and uh, please don't tell me you check your iPhone. I don't, but really. I mean, it was that kind of time. Okay. It was just, you know, the the, the wife character doesn't have much to say. Uh, Mike Banning doesn't have much to say to his wife. They awkwardly get on the phone and they have a very mundane conversation to just sort no, of say see, that they're I'm, checking in on each other. I, I got to rein this one in, dude. I, I enjoyed the interaction between Mike and his wife. I mean, and, and you can't fully flesh that out in a two-hour film, right? But you needed to know that he... He had somebody to come to, come back to, somebody to live for, that he had a relationship, a loving wife. I, I, I thought it was all very well and good. I thought it was fine. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'll just go ahead and mention again, uh, one of my, my likes was the Seth pieces. Uh, I was really convinced that this story was unfolding in the White House. Yeah, it's true. They, they did a really good job with that. I, and I'm going to go as far as to say I enjoyed the special effects. I, I, in fact, I, there, were not, there was not any times when I was looking at the screen going – Oh my goodness, that's CGI. I, I never felt that way. I enjoyed mm. it, and and that's what I want. I don't want to ever. I never want the CGI to to shout to me CGI. And, <laughs> and this, this film for me didn't. I know it did for you, but it did not for me. And I enjoyed that about the film. And you right. know, uh, an, another one of my likes is uh, the same as my as one of my dislikes, where there's just too much action. But at the same time, I enjoy a good action film. And even though there was a little bit too much, like dial it back a hair and give me a little more plot. At the same time, it was it was well done and, and well choreographed and good action. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna right. I'm gonna put that as a like as well. Uh, one of the things I appreciated about the set designs were that they used the um, the architecture of the White House as uh, part of the uh, is almost a good gimmick um, for some of the, the situations. Mike Banning goes inside the interior walls and is walking around in parts of the White House that are somewhat secretive so that the terrorists that are roaming the hallways when they have control of the place don't know where Mike Banning is. And it's something that the security detail would know about and that the terrorists should not. 
And, you know, from what I understand, the White House is something of a labyrinth because all the presidents throughout the decades, hundreds of years, have been, uh, well, slowly modifying and again, modifying and modifying every time there's a president in the White Mm -hmm. House. It seems Mm -hmm. like they change the architecture for who knows what reason, like whether um, one of the presidents has a pet alligator or he wants a (laughs) golf course in the basement. You know, they got to modify the place to make that happen. So it was kind of cool when Mike Banning is inside the interior walls and you feel like you're seeing something that the public would never get to see otherwise. So yeah. uh, pretty clever. Even though it wasn't real, I still feel like those things are probably true about the real White House. What do you think? Oh, I would think so. I, I would hope they did their homework. And I hope that, that this is you know at least plausible, if not, ex- you know, if not showing the exact layout of what was inside the walls, still plausible and doable. Mm-hmm. You know, I would hope that they did that. So. Cool. Yeah, and and I I did enjoy you know I enjoyed the relationship that uh, Mike Banning had with Connor. What was is that uh, is that right? Yeah, Connor. Um, th- that's the president's son. And I enjoyed the fact, like like I thought when he was lost in the White House, nobody could find him, and he was hiding in the walls. I thought, crud, they're gonna find him, and there's gonna be a thing where they're gonna torture the kid in front of him, and and we're gonna have to go through all that, and it's gonna wrench my heart. And and they didn't do that. I was very happy about that. Mm. Like they kept it as a as a, a fight between the adults, right? Uh, my last uh, comment about the uh, the prose of the film is the director Antoine Fuqua. He, I think he did a great job. Uh, some of his movies I really have no desire to see, like his version of King Arthur, which came out in two thousand four, mm. and uh, you know it starred Clive Owen, which is great, and Kieran Knightley. So that's interesting. But it was obviously a ridiculous retake on history, and it wasn't trying to be faithful in any way. It was all about the action. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But uh, his other films, in general, he tries to maintain good, positive, interesting action. And one that I especially like is from 2007, the film Shooter. And it starred Mark Wahlberg as this uh, special marksman. I thought that that film did a great job and it felt a little bit indie. It felt a little bit outside Hollywood, but at the same time with a great production value. And the scenes were well shot. It had a numerous number of locations. And it felt like events that could have actually happened. And a pretty interesting conspiracy. So he's effective at storytelling when he wants to be. And he's usually good about the action. So all the more power to Antoine if he wants to give us more like this film. Um, then go right ahead because I still enjoy it for a nice little, you know, action flick time. You know, I, I, it's okay. And so I'll be recommending it to others that I know really enjoy action for what it is, even if it's not much on the, uh, you know, the story, uh, the, the, the development of uh, plot and it doesn't have, you know, the most interesting of th- or, or original themes. I think that he did an excellent work considering just how, shallow the plot actually is Mm -hmm. a lesser director wouldn't have been able to do this much good for entertainment value with this script yeah no i agree and like i said i I give it four stars so i'm 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 in favor of what you're saying there all right interestingly though you have here as as always in the bottom of our outline you have the uh, imdb rating and the rotten tomatoes rating The, the critics are not praising it very highly in fact uh and this is interesting. Uh, I, I need to look and refresh my memory. Isn't Ebert rating it higher than that? Yeah, um, he's giving it three oh, no, out of four. Oh, no, no, no. This is uh, Bill Zwecker, who's posting on the RogerEbert.com, but it's not actually Ebert, so I don't know. Oh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Huh. He's, he's giving it three out of four. 
Uh, but yeah, in general, Rotten Tomatoes, the, the, the critics are 50, 50, uh, they, you know, so, uh, you know. <laughs> that's very, that's very irritating to me, by the way. I just want to mention that it's not Roger Ebert, that it's not Roger Ebert at, at Roger Ebert.com. Yeah, but he's always had a review. couple of him and a couple others have always written there. So I guess he, I guess these guys are supposed to represent him pretty closely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like you writing on movie bite. It's my site, but no, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> So you give it three stars. I do. Um, you know, what that means to me is that, uh, you know, hmm. watch the, I, I get, yeah, here, here's my point. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if, if you like action films, watch this film soon, catch it in theaters because that's where you're going to get the best experience. So go watch it with some action junkie friends and just have a good time. Enjoy the entertainment value for what it is. It's a uh, far superior to the uh, lackluster diehard films of late. And oh, I think that Gerard yeah. Butler is in his element. He is good at this sort of action hero. So yeah, enjoy it for what it is, but don't expect too much substance. Yeah. And, and I give it four stars, but I'm going to, uh, similarly, I, I wish that there was a little more plot and a little less action. So that's why I didn't rate it higher, but I did enjoy it a lot. And uh, yeah, I recommend it. Hmm. All right. All right. And Rotten Tomatoes critics give it a 50 and um, audiences give it a 79. I I kind of like to think that they need to meet in the middle with those two. Of course uh, scores. you do. Three yes. out of three out of five stars. That's your you're kind of in the middle of that. So mm-hmm. uh, now we haven't discussed this, Joe, because I was <sighs> out all day today and, uh, you know, and I've just sat down and we tried to start recording. I my computer crashed, Skype crashed. Da, 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 da. We haven't discussed this. We have two films possibly that we might want to review and talk about for next week's podcast. We could talk about the host or we could talk about G.I. Joe retaliation. Anybody out there in, in the uh, chat room who wants to weigh in, please feel free to let us know which film you would rather us talk about. Well, I know we're going to have to cover both of these films, um, either this coming episode or the following week. I'm kind of interested in seeing the host first. Yeah, I might be, just because I know what to expect with G.I. Joe, even though I think I'll like it well I, enough. I don't right. I, I, I don't know what to expect with the host, and I really don't know what I'm going to bring to the table next week when we talk about it. So maybe that is the thing to do. Yeah, I, I'm more curious about the host. So let, yeah, let's take that one on. Let's talk about the host next week. Okay, so so if you want to uh, catch the host on uh, this weekend, we'll be talking about it on next week's podcast, episode 38, because this is episode, am I right? This is episode 37. This is. Uh, yes, it is. So on episode 38, we'll be talking about the host, um, and we're going to find out whether uh, it's acceptable to people who don't like vampires or whether it's going to hmm. follow right in the same bit of business with Stephanie Myers. So. Uh, my wife has read the book and she says that it I did is, too. it is very much not it. While it is a Stephanie Meyer novel, it is very much not the same type of thing as, uh, her vampire books. Agreed. So it's interesting. It definitely looks interesting. So that'll be fun to talk about. Hey, I'm a little worried that the film might try to, um, shoehorn it into the same, uh, film as a, a twilight film. Twilight, hopefully, that was what I was looking for. Hopefully they will try to make it a little bit more distinct. Yeah, I, I, it's, it doesn't look like a Twilight film to me from the trailers, but trailers can I, be I'm just I'm more cons- uh, concerned about the, the love triangles and, you know, relationships. Uh, love triangles. Ugh. Yeah. I've had my fill of that. I, I enjoyed Twilight for what it was, but I have had my fill of the love triangles. Well, we'll get more into this next week, but just as a teaser, um, I'll explain, uh, say just this, that the novel itself has the, it has the potential to do something with love triangles that's never been done before, 
because it's inside the main character's brain. It's from her first person perspective, but the film actually has to, sorry, the book has to take on the perspective of the first person with two characters that are trapped in the same body. So that's pretty clever. And it adds something new to the dynamic of a tired plot device, like love triangles. Mm. Um, I don't think the movie though has that option. So we'll see. Yeah, I guess we will. So, Joe, uh, where can folks find you and follow you on these great big wide world web? Well, thanks. Well, thanks for asking, TJ. Um, People can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Just look me up. It's Joseph Darnell on both. And if you want to catch my own site, it's jivingjackalope.net. And I try to write some interesting little tiddly winks about, you know, movie culture, uh, technology culture. And I like to post some funny pictures every now and then, like everybody else does with a blog. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and you can find me on Twitter, TJ Draper Pro. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash TJ Draper. Keep up with my writing on moviebyte.com when I get a chance to write there. I do post at least a little something every day. Uh, I'll usually post a lot of links and a little bit of comments, and I do write uh, reviews that I'm trying to get cranked out. So I'll be doing that soon. So moviebyte.com is where you go for all that stuff. And if you want to do us a great personal favor, people, please just take the, a few minutes of your time. It shouldn't take you long to go star rate us in iTunes and say a few words. Um, if you want to say something negative, go right ahead. But please share with us some positive or we, uh, constructive feedback. Yeah, we don't want your negativity. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> no, we really do hope you enjoy the podcast, and we really hope you will rate us in iTunes. That will really help us out. And uh, get your friends to subscribe to us in iTunes. That will definitely help us out and uh, get the show noticed. Well, thanks so much, Joe. It was a great show. We're out of here. 